It was one year ago this weekend, and much of the world we knew changed. One year ago, I preached the last sermon on site uh, before COVID hit, and we went out for eight weeks not knowing what all this was about. You know what the title of that last sermon I preached here was? The New Hard Life. <laughs> Can't make that up. And here we are a year later, we're back to full speed. Um, some of you may not know, we're back up to about 85% of what we were before COVID. And uh, we're making big plans for Easter. And we're doing a Saturday night service on Easter weekend and two on Sunday morning, make sure we got room for everybody. And I've got a message for those who are still not back, um, haven't seen fit to come back, it's time. And if you're home watching online today and you're in your pajamas, it's time for you to come back to church. Yeah, I'm talking to you. I recognize and we respect there are people with certain physical needs and we respect their decisions, but pajamas are not those physical needs. That's not it. Now the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some are, but all the more. Do we need each other as we see the day approaching? And I'm telling you today, the day is approaching. We need to address something in the church today. It's a serious issue. We need to address it. This issue that we're going to address today is even, will even be more serious as we move forward in the church. I see in the future where the church is going to continue to be marginalized in our society and rejected by the elite culture we live in. You're going to need to know about today's topic. The word is doubt. And I want to go on and give you a definition as we bring this word up today. Doubt is to call into question the truth about something or someone. Doubt is to call into question the truth about something or someone, to be uncertain about something or someone, to lack trust in something or someone, is to doubt. So let me begin with some examples of this word doubt so I can describe this dangerous power in the church of this little word called doubt. So let me give you an actual example. Most of you have seen on television the Kentucky Lottery commercial, and it says something like this, someone's going to win, it might as well be you. I doubt that. <laughs> I bring into question the truth of that statement, so I'm not giving them any money. I doubt that. There's another commercial that comes out, and this commercial is kind of entertaining to me. It's a guy on TV, and he says uh, that the scientists have come to conclusion that this, this pill you can take, and if you take this pill, it'll help sustain your memory as you age. And the problem is, I can't remember to take the pill. <laughs> so I look at that TV commercial and say, I doubt that. I call that truth into question as not being true. But on a serious note, there's a guy that many of you 
put your kids in front of a television to watch, and his name's Bill Nye, the science guy, and you know what he says? When you're dead, you're done. He says there's nothing beyond this life except a dark, black, empty nothingness. I doubt that. I call that truth that he proclaims into question. I don't believe it. So, if faith is being sure and certain, what is doubt? If I'm saved and you're saved, if the Bible is clear that we're saved by God's grace, that's the undeserved favor of God, by God's grace through faith, then what's doubt? It's a serious topic. In Hebrews 11 verse 1 it says, now faith is being sure. Do you see doubt in that or anywhere? Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. So are you absolutely sure and certain about the promises of God in the Bible? Let's start there today. Are you absolutely sure and certain? That's what faith is. We need to understand the definition of the word that now brings us salvation and eternal life. Are you absolutely sure and certain that the promises of God in the word of God are true? Or do you call them into question at some points of your life? So let's do something today. I want to ask ourselves, all of us, if you're on, in person or online, five questions about doubt. Do believers ever have doubt? <laughs> do those who have placed their faith and trust in God through Jesus Christ ever experience moments of doubt? Number three, is doubt dangerous? Is doubt a sin against God? Number four, is doubting the Word of God or the promises of God the same as calling into question the person of God, the truth of God? And finally, at what point does doubt become faithlessness or the lack of faith? And wouldn't that become dangerous? Because if I'm saved by grace through faith, if I'm saved by faith, at what point does doubt actually overtake faith and I become an unbeliever. I've always been fascinated by the final Old Testament prophet called John the Baptist. Have you ever thought about John the Baptist as the final Old Testament prophet? Even though his birth and his story are all New Testament stories, but John the Baptist is the bodily fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies of Isaiah and Malachi. In fact, Isaiah's prophecy says that John was the voice of the one shouting in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. And the reason I bring that up is John's message is shouting in Isaiah's prophecy 750 years before he's born. 750 years before John arrives, Isaiah's telling the world what, I, what John's going to say when he gets here in 750 years. And Malachi does something similar. 
In Malachi, in the Old Testament, John was the one whose preaching would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, restoring broken families to Abraham's covenant that would be fulfilled through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And John's message is being revealed and and spoken out loud through Malachi 400 years before John the Baptist is even born. So this John the Baptist guy is pretty instrumental in this announcement of the Messiah. In fact, Jesus himself says this about John the Baptist in Matthew 11, verse 11. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. And from the time John the Baptist, listen carefully, church, and from Jesus said, and from the time that John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. You ever thought about the church? The kingdom of heaven forcefully advancing and a violent force on the other side trying to push it back. Verse 13. For before John came, all the prophets and the law of Moses look forward to this present time. And if you are willing to accept what I say, Jesus said, he, John the Baptist, is Elijah. The one the prophet said would come. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Inside of that little segment of teaching from Jesus are six truths revealed. And here's where I'm going. All six of those are revealed in the context of a man called John the Baptist. They're all wrapped around this guy called John the Baptist. So let let me just summarize those six things. And I want you to connect all six of them to this guy, John the Baptist. Number one, of all men born of women, none's greater than John. That's a pretty good resume. Number two, but the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Kind of gives you a scale of what life's like now and what it's going to be like in the heavenly realm. Number three, when John began preaching, the kingdom of heaven began to forcefully advance by the power of God. The church was advancing. When John came, God was about to do something. He's about to push into motion a movement that is unstoppable. That's why Jesus comes later and says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church because it's forcefully being advanced by God, a supernatural power. It's not forcefully being advanced by you or me. It's by God. But violent, number four, but violent people under a violent, powerful adversary are opposing this advancing kingdom. We talked about that a little last week in this dragon who's trying to hold back this this movement, this kingdom movement of Christ. Number five, the Old Testament prophets and the law of Moses were all looking forward to John's coming ministry that would reveal the Messiah. And finally, number six, and if you're willing to accept what I say, And Jesus, isn't it kind of interesting wording? And he's looking at these people. He's revealing of all people born of of women, which would be everybody, none's greater than John. Then he lists these spiritual events 
And then of all things, he says, if you're willing to accept what I say, he, John, is Elijah, the one the prophet said would come. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So let's apply our word for today to this text, to this teaching. Do you doubt any of that? Do you? Maybe you can't even remember what it was, so you don't know if you're doubting it or not. Do you bring into question the truth of those six statements about Jesus in the context of John the Baptist? Let me just give you a couple of them and ask you a question. Do you doubt this? There's a violent power at work in direct opposition to the kingdom of heaven. But the kingdom of heaven is advancing by the supernatural power of God. But there's also an opposing power that's trying to stop this advancing kingdom of Christ. A dark kingdom with a dark power fighting against the kingdom of light and truth. Do you doubt that? That that's the world in which we live in. And Jesus says anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now, I do all of that just to come to this. Now for the real example today. My attempt to answer the five doubt questions that I've brought up. And here's the doubt questions again. Do believers ever have doubt? Do those who have placed their faith and trust in God through Jesus Christ ever experience times of doubt? Is doubt dangerous? And is doubt a sin against God? Is doubting the Word of God, I want to hold it up, is doubting the Word of God and the promises of God the same as calling into question the truth and the person of God? That would be really serious, right? And finally, maybe the biggest question is, at what point does doubt become faithlessness, the absence of faith? At what point could doubt be the lack of faith, the absence of faith? Well, that would be serious because faith is what saves us. That's why I said today when I began, this is a serious topic. In the same scene from Matthew 11, in the same context, I'm just going to back up a few verses. We read this about John the Baptist who now is in prison under King Herod. In the same scene, I just read to you Matthew 11, 11 through 15. Let's back up a few verses, back to verse 2. John the Baptist, of all men born of women, none's greater than John, and he's in prison. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things Messiah, Jesus, was doing. So he, John the Baptist, in prison, sent his disciples to ask Jesus. What are they going to ask Jesus now that John's in jail? Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? What did you just say? John the Baptist said that? John the Baptist, of all men born of women, none's greater than John the Baptist. And he said, what? Are you the Messiah or should we be looking for somebody else? Are you telling me that John the Baptist had doubts? 
while he was in prison? Yes. John the Baptist had doubts. And if you ever wondered, listen, does this sound like a doubt? Are you the Messiah? Or should we be expecting someone else, looking for someone else? Remember, John, how could this be? John is the one that baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. John is the one that heard the voice of God at the baptism. It's also recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. And now in this scene, he's got doubts. How can you experience the glory that happened in the baptism and now you've got doubts? So let's go back to that event. Matthew 3, verse 13. It says this, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, John the Baptist. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you, Jesus, coming to me, John? Because it should be the other way. But Jesus said it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize Jesus. And after his baptism, listen church, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on Jesus. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Now, can you imagine being in this scene? In fact, I don't even know that these words can really uh, do in your mind what just took place. The heavens have opened, which tells me that John the Baptist saw something when he looked up into the sky that he had never seen before. Something supernatural is taking place at the Jordan River. He saw the heavens open, and through the opening of heaven, the Spirit of God in in the form of a dove comes and settles on Jesus. And if that's not enough to shake your world in that moment... God speaks. He speaks audibly from heaven. Now, if you fast forward, John is the same one that later makes this declaration about Jesus from that scene. So let's go to John 1, 29. It says, the next day, John, we're talking about John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as Messiah. Now, let's pause for a moment. In this text, John the Baptist is saying, there was a time that I didn't know Jesus was the one. So what was it that made me know that Jesus is the one? He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He says, at that point, verse 31, I did not recognize him as Messiah. But I have been preaching with water, been baptizing with water, so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, something happened. I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one. But when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I, John the Baptist, saw this happen. Okay? 
So now he's thinking, now I know. I know who he is. I saw this happen to Jesus. So I testify that he is the chosen one of God. John saw the heavens open. John heard the voice of God with his own ears. And John testifies with his mouth. This Jesus, the Lamb of God, is the one who takes away the sins of the world. He is the chosen one. But that was before prison. Anybody listening to me? That was before prison. That was before the loneliness came. And that was before the persecution. And that was before the suffering. And that was before the separation and the rejection from his friends. That was before the government had rejected him. And before the religious elites had rejected him. And in fact, it looked like everybody had rejected him. Everybody listen. John, of all men born of women, none is greater than John. John had doubts. I don't know about you. I don't know what that does to you. Maybe some of you think, ooh, I don't feel good right now. I'm going to tell you what it does to me. I get great comfort from this scene. I don't know what it does to you, but it, it gives me great comfort today knowing that the greatest man born of women also experienced moments of doubt after, listen, after he had encountered absolute truth. This man had encountered absolute truth. He had seen with his eyes the heavens open. He saw the Spirit of God descending. He heard the voice of God audibly from the heavens. And even after all of that, he says, are you the one? Or should we uh, wait for the, uh, another to come? Are you ready for this? Church, are you ready? Every believer has doubts at some point in their life. Loneliness, persecution, suffering, prison, despair can bring a powerful time of doubting. When everyone around you that once thought maybe like you thought suddenly rejects that which you think, doubt comes. You see, John the Baptist is the fulfillment of Isaiah and Malachi. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament announcement that the Messiah is coming. And here he comes, and he's expecting everyone around him to say, yeah, Messiah is coming. That's who you've all been waiting for. But instead of accepting, they rejected him, just like they would the one who followed him. And what happens in the rejection? Doubts. Doubts. The question today is not about whether or not believers ever have moments of doubt. That's not my question. We've settled that already, right? Of all men born of women, none's greater than John. John's got doubts. So what is the question? The question is this. What will you do in your time of testing? What will you do in your time of doubting? That's the question for the church. What did John do when he experienced doubt in prison? 
He sought the truth from Jesus. John didn't seek the truth from Herod. While he was in jail, he didn't seek the truth from the government. While he's in jail, he didn't seek the truth from the Jerusalem Post. He didn't go to the media. He didn't go to the internet. He didn't go to social media, to Facebook, and to Twitter. He said, go ask Jesus. So I'm pausing the story for a moment. We're one year into a pandemic that quite frankly changed the world. In the past year, where have you gone to seek truth? The government? The media? Or did this past year draw you, like John, go ask Jesus? Are you the one? Or should we wait for another? You see, doubting is when we bring truth into question. The word doubt means I have taken a truth, I've taken something that I believe to be true that perhaps the people around me now reject as truth, and I'm bringing it into question. And that's what doubting is. Doubting is when we bring truth into question. How we deal with that doubt will determine our direction in life. How we deal with that moment of doubt will eventually determine our eternity. Because everybody has moments of doubt. This next scene was the cure. Listen, this next scene is the cure for doubt in the time of John in prison and right now today as well. Truth is bigger than prison. Truth is bigger than loneliness, rejection, persecution, suffering, jail, COVID-19, pandemics. Truth is bigger than all of those things. Let's go to verse 2, chapter 11. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking? Are you him, or should we keep looking for someone else? And Jesus told them, Go back, and, go back to John and tell him. What? Go back to John and tell him. Tell him what? What you have heard and seen, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Go tell John. Just go tell John. Just go tell John. John's in jail. Just go tell John. Can you think of a million things that Jesus could have done to answer John's question from jail? Just tell him what you've seen and heard. This moment of truth was the cure for John's doubt. John's doubt was brought on by loneliness and persecution and suffering and despair in that prison cell. He'd been rejected by the religious elites. So let's examine this cure. Of all men born of women, none's greater than John. What's the cure for doubt? Jesus made blind people see. Do you doubt that? Do you? Jesus made the lame walk. Do you doubt this? You see how this can become personal even right now today? Do you doubt this? That there was a man that could just see somebody who's blind and say, you can see. He didn't need any medicine. He didn't need any tools. He didn't have to send you in the ambulance to the hospital. He just says, you can see. How many people you know that can do that? 
He makes the lame walk. Do you doubt this? He cures leprosy. He makes deaf people hear. Do you doubt any of this? Jesus raises people from the grave. He's got four-day dead Lazarus in the grave. Four-day dead Lazarus. He's already decaying. Don't take the stone away. Lazarus, come out. Just tell John. Just tell John this. Just tell John. Dead people are coming out of the graves. And we're preaching the good news to the poor people. Just go tell John. Do you doubt this? Do you doubt these statements of Jesus sent to doubting John in prison? So let's be honest today. And I'm going to be bluntly honest. Some of you, either on site or online, if you'd be honest with yourself, you doubt several of those, and you're not even in prison. You're not even in jail, and you doubt it. You don't really, 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 really believe that there's a guy. Uh, well, if, w wouldn't we be in adoration and worship and praise of a guy who can just raise people from the dead just by saying it? Oh, yes, you would be. Oh, yes, you would be. Would there be anything keep you from the assembly that worships the guy who makes you come out of the dead, out of the grave? Oh, no, you'd be there. Are they truth? Yes or no? Jesus makes blind people see. He makes the lame walk. He cures leprosy. Deaf people can hear. He raises people from their graves, and then he goes out and preaches the good news to the resurrection, of the resurrection to the poor. Are they truth? Is it yes or is it no? I believe what I hold in my hand is the only physical source of absolute truth on this planet. Do you doubt that? Because this entire event story is coming from this book. And there are people that doubt those words. Doubt is to call into question the truth. John needed to confirm the truth, and Jesus answered John with the irrefutable truth that the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead are raised from the grave, and then he says this. Next verse, verse 6. And by the way, tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. You know how I interpret that when I read that? Don't you turn away from me, John. Don't you turn away from me. You see, doubt can cause a person. It's powerful. Doubt can cause a person to turn away from Jesus. That's why doubt is very dangerous. Doubt comes in our time of testing. Do you know why? Doubt comes in our time of testing to prove that our faith is legitimate, that it's real, that it's not phony or fake, or my faith is dependent upon, well, everything in my life is really good. Then go to jail and see what you believe. Then go in a pandemic or lose your job or lose your health or get that terrible event in your life and then see who you are and then see if you doubt the truth. Doubt comes in our time of testing. 
to tell us if our faith is genuine and pure. And what would be the test? Is my faith based on truth? You see, truth is an immovable rock. What John in prison was questioning, what he was doubting, is, are you the one? Are you the truth? In jail, in suffering, in hardship, are you the truth? Doubt is to question truth. Are you the truth? So I want you to visualize something in this moment. I want you to see truth as an immovable rock that God has placed in Jerusalem for you and I to stand on. So that in our times of doubt, I just stand on this rock that God has placed in Jerusalem. Because that's who Jesus is. He's the stone that the builders have rejected, but he's become the capstone or the cornerstone. Truth is an immovable rock that you can stand upon in your time of testing when everybody else is rejecting you and the truth that you believe in. Do you know, here's where I'm going, do you know that you can stand on this rock or that same rock can trip you and make you fall? It's the same rock. You'll either stand upon it, sure and certain, that's what faith is, or that same rock will trip you and you'll fall down. It's the same rock. And John the Baptist is in prison and he sends word out, are you the one? Are you the rock? Can I stand on you? Or should I be looking for somebody else? Romans 9, verse 33, God warned them of this in the scriptures when he said, I'm placing a stone in Jerusalem. I'm going to place a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble. Well, why would he do that? I'm placing, it's a warning. He warned them in these scriptures saying, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a, a rock that makes people fall down. But, somebody say hallelujah, but there's a second part to that. But anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. You know what it means? Anyone who trusts in him, which means you're going to set aside your doubts and your fears, and you're going to go stand on that rock. Just, I'm just going to stand on this rock. In the midst of it all, I'm just going to stand on this rock. Well, I see people tripping over this same rock that I'm standing on, and that's okay. That's okay. They're tripping over the rock that I'm standing on. And what does Jesus say? God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. Go tell John. Go tell John. God blesses those who do not fall away, turn away because of me. This rock that God put in Jerusalem. Do you doubt that this rock that God placed in Jerusalem can actually be the very truth? Can actually be the very truth that trips people and makes you fall? Everybody listen, doubt left untreated by truth is deadly. I want to say it again. Doubt left untreated by truth is deadly. But blessed are those who do not turn away from the truth. 
What is John seeking in prison in the midst of his doubt? Truth. Where does he go for truth? Government? Society? No. Go ask Jesus. And the New American Standard, Matthew eleven six, actually translates that verse like this. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. This rock in Jerusalem. You know, some people see that rock in Jerusalem and they're offended by that rock. They're offended by the truth of that rock in Jerusalem. The NIV translates that verse like this. Blessed is the man who does not fall away. On account of me, go tell John. Go tell John. Blessed are those who do not fall away on account of me. Truth is the cure for doubt. Jesus told them, go tell John. Go tell John the truth. But if you refuse to turn and accept the truth in your time of doubt, beware. You are in great danger. Did you hear me? I'm going to say it again. Truth is the cure for doubt. Everybody has doubt. I have doubt. You have doubts. Everybody. John the Baptist had doubts. But in the moment of his doubt, truth was applied over top of his doubts. And God offers us that truth. Here it is. But if you refuse to accept that truth in your time of doubt, you are in great danger. Truth is the cure for doubt. Listen carefully. But what if the truth in that moment offends me? What if it offends me? Beware, you are also in great danger. Loneliness, persecution, suffering, despair, they can all force us to seek after truth. And actually, that's a good thing. It's a time of testing. It should strengthen our faith and our perseverance under the truth. Doubt comes in our time of testing to see if our faith is genuine, our faith is pure. But our faith to be genuine must be based on truth. It cannot be based on something else. It's got to be based on truth. But if we refuse to accept the truth in that moment of testing or hardship, we will find ourselves in great danger. I find the truth of God's Word offends and trips up many people today. Listen, here's where I'm going. Everybody has doubts. Church people have doubts. And the problem then comes when the moment of doubt and your heart seeks after truth, which would overwrite, overpower the doubt, you see the truth and the truth offends you. What? It offends you. What do you mean it offends me? That's what I see happening even in the church today. Let, let me put it like this. I'm going to make a confession. Every time I read the scripture, it offends me. Do you know what it means when I say it offends me? It points out my weaknesses. It points out my failures. This is not new. What, what happens when I read the scripture is it reveals the truth of who I am. Not who I think I am, but who I really am in light of God. And in that moment, I can, by God's grace and mercy, I can adjust my life to the truth rather than asking the truth to adjust itself to me. 
But see, if I'm offended, one of the two is going to take place. I can say the truth's not true. It should adjust itself to me. Or I can say the truth is true. I need to adjust myself to it. But either way, it's still truth, regardless of what I do with it. In John chapter 6, Jesus reveals eternal life. So listen carefully. So here's the truth. So in John chapter 6, Jesus is going to tell the people, and, and they're religious folks. He's going to tell them that eternal life is, is something like this. You've got to eat my flesh and you've got to drink my blood. And that's the truth. Y'all got to deal with it. And the people did what you just did. They kind of went, <laughs> okay, where'd this guy come from? You've got to eat my flesh and you've got to drink my blood. And that's the truth. You've got to deal with it. It's eternal life. What he's really saying that they're not getting yet is that somehow or another, I, the source of life, must enter inside of you. I got to come on the outside. I got to be on the outside and on the inside. If you eat my flesh, drink my blood, what he's really given is a spiritual picture of the communion we just took a few minutes ago. When Christ is in me, and I never forget that Christ is in me, giving me life. That which is on the outside, which is the origin of life, must enter this dying body. So when he does that, will they be offended and adjust to the truth? No. Let me read it to you. John 6, 60. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard. What? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. This is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept this, Jesus? And Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Does this teaching of truth offend you? What will you do? I'm going to ask the church. What will you do in those moments like these guys when the word offends you? When the truth, <coughs> when the truth has confronted your doubts and fears, knowing in advance that Jesus says it will be the truth that sets you free from this prison, spiritual prison, Blessed are those who do not fall away because of me. Go tell John. John's having a crisis moment. Are you the one or should we wait for another? Go tell John. Blessed are those who do not fall away because of me. He just told him the truth. The blind can see. The lame can walk. The dead are raised. Lepers are cured. Go tell John. Go tell John. Blessed are those who do not fall away because of me. There's one more part of the story today. I got to tell you, I've always wanted to address something about the sermon in this. This is going to be my first chance to ever be able to do that. Jesus answers John's doubts. Go tell John in prison. And then he says this. this I'm still in Matthew chapter 11, okay? Go tell John. Blessed are those who do not fall away because of me. And then he says this. Verse 7. As John's disciples were leaving... Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of a man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No. People with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes. And he is more than a prophet. 
John is the man whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare the way before you. He's announcing that he's the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist, yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Massive crowds had been traveling into the Judean wilderness to hear this message of truth from John the Baptist. I'm going to tell you, I've been in and through the Judean wilderness. Nobody goes there unless you're going there for a reason. There's nothing there. It's the most desolate place I've ever been in my lifetime. So why are these massive crowds traveling into the wilderness to hear a man speak? He was not a people pleaser. John was not a people pleaser swayed by the winds of political pressure. He was not a fancy dresser. So why are they going into the wilderness to hear this guy? He was a man of truth. He was a man of truth. And that truth did something. It offended many people. Yes, even today. Was that man or that truth like a weak reed? Swayed by every breath of wind. Why does Jesus give this analogy? Was John the Baptist somebody who was flimsy and he swayed by the political pressures of the culture? No, he just stood there and proclaimed truth. And people kept going out to hear the truth. Or was that truth, why? Was that true, truth absolute, powerfully, strong, immovable, untouched by political influence? Did those masses of people go into the Judean wilderness to see a man dressed in fancy clothes? No, the Bible says he wore camel's hair. Obviously, that was not in style during that particular day. And he had locust breath, if this, as if the other wasn't bad enough. Did they go, here's the question, Jesus brings this up, did they go to be entertained? Did they travel into the Judean wilderness in the middle of nowhere to be offended or to be entertained? So I'm going to ask everybody a question, whether you're here on site or whether you're watching online, why are you here today? See, the truth always offends sinners. It always has and it always will. And you know what the truth is? We're all sinners. And I say all of that to read you this. This is the message of John the Baptist. I'm going to read it to you. They traveled into the Judean wilderness not to hear a, a weak reed that was swayed by political influence or social pressure absolute truth. Do you believe this? Or would you say, I doubt it. Verse 7, Matthew chapter 3. But when he, John the Baptist, saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, never once have I addressed y'all in that way. I have considered it on multiple occasions, <laughs> but I have never done it out loud. <laughs> he
He denounced them, you brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee from God's coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and it will be thrown into the fire. Do you doubt that? I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God, but someone's coming. Someone's coming soon who is far greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not worthy even to be a slave or carry his sandals, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's going to baptize you with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. And then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into this barn, wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never ending fire. Do you doubt that? See, everything I've done today is to ask you that question. Do you doubt that? Jesus is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat. Does this offend you? Why are you here today? What what did that sentence do to you? That absolute truth moment. Jesus is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat. Does it offend you? Do you doubt that? Jesus is going to gather the wheat into the barn. He's going to throw the chaff into a never-ending fire of hell. Does that offend you? Or does it make you want to adjust your life to this truth? Which one? Do you doubt that? Don't just say to each other that we're safe because we're descendants of Abraham. Don't just say to each other we're safe because we go to church. Does that offend you? Some of you will be offended by that. Some of you will adjust your life to the truth. Who warned you to flee from God's coming wrath? And how did they warn you? There's only one way to warn somebody. It's called truth. Doubts. Yes, we all have them. But truth is the power to overcome doubt, especially in times of hardship, trouble, and suffering. John the Baptist experienced doubts in his time in prison. But he went to the single source of truth to overcome those doubts. Go ask Jesus. Go seek the truth. Go ask Jesus. Do you ever experience times of doubt? I do. I'm telling you, yes, I do. And when I experience doubt, I've learned something. I turn to truth, and those doubts turn to faith. That's how it works. Do you doubt that the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots from the trees? Does that get your attention? Because it surely does me. And do you doubt that, that John's warning is, who warned you to flee from God's coming wrath? 
that there's a coming wrath? Do you doubt that every tree that does not produce good fruit is going to be chopped down and thrown into the fire? I wonder how many people sitting in the church watching online today, if you were honest, you doubt that sentence. You doubt it. Every tree that does not produce good fruit is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. I doubt that. Do you? I didn't say it. Truth said it. Listen carefully. Doubt in itself is quite normal. As long as we live in the flesh, we're going to experience doubt. Doubt is our time of testing. And we will experience it more and more if we are called to suffer. I want to say something. I'm convinced that we are right now experiencing a time in which government and society will reject the church. Do you doubt that? Jesus told us in advance that it will happen in the end. They will reject the truth and follow after myths, another source of truth. Doubt is to call into question the truth. The cure to doubt is the truth. And I'm going to say it again. Listen, everything comes down to this. I believe what I hold in my hand is the only physical source of absolute truth. I'm willing to bet my eternal life on that truth. I do not doubt it. So I'm going to close. Do you think Noah ever experienced doubt? He obviously was rejected by society because only eight people got on the boat. Do you think Abraham ever experienced doubt? When God told him, take your son, your only son, Isaac, to Mount Moriah, and I want you to put a knife in him and set him on fire. Do you think he experienced doubt? Do you think David ever experienced doubt? David was anointed by Samuel to be the king, and yet he's hiding in the cave, and the current king's chasing him, going to kill him. Do you think he ever had doubts? Do you think the Apostle Paul ever had any doubts when he was in that Roman prison? Suffering? I'm sure they all dealt with times of fear and doubt because they're human. But in their moment of doubt, they did what John the Baptist did. They sought the truth. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Doubt left untreated by truth can turn you to unbelief. And unbelief is fatal. Doubt left untreated by truth can turn to unbelief. And unbelief, you're lost. Yes, we will always experience moments of doubt. But we must submit those fears and doubts to the truth. And the truth will set us free from the fear of doubt, throwing open the spiritual prison that we all live in. Why? Why do I make such a big deal? Truth is not an ideology. Truth is a person. He is a person. And when you doubt the Word of God, you're doubting the person of Christ. You're doubting Him. 
You're doubting him. When Peter, one last story. When Peter saw Jesus walking on the water, that famous story, he's in the boat with the other disciples and Jesus is walking on the water and Peter is the only guy. I used to always get frustrated growing up when preachers would give Peter a hard time for sinking because I always thought, where's the other dudes? He's the only one that got out of the boat. Why are you giving him a hard time for? So Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking on the water and he becomes doubting, right? He has doubts, he has fear, and he starts to sink. Everybody gets doubts. Everybody gets fears. What I think about Peter is he got out of the boat. And then something happened. One verse, Matthew 14, 31. He's sinking, right? He's, he's, he's going down. His doubts are taking him down. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him, takes his hand. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt me? I'm going to tell you, I get cold chills when I hear that sentence. Why did you doubt me? If everybody right now, I said today it's been a year since this pandemic hit the world. If Jesus were to come and look at your life for this past year, would he say that to you? Why? Did you doubt me? Why? Do you not believe that I am who I say I am? Why do you doubt me? These are powerful words of truth. Doubt is real. It is real. And it is, it is a prison. It's a prison. But the prison doors swing wide when truth comes. But you might say, some of you, I know the cynics, they'll say, okay, I know the rest of John the Baptist's story. You're not talking about it. They cut his head off. Okay, they cut his head off and he's dead. But you know what truth says? Truth says John's not dead. Do you know the truth? You see, doubt is real. And fear is a raging sea. In that stormy, sinking moment, the hand of Jesus reaches down to Peter in truth and love and says, why do you doubt me? And some of you, if you're a cynic, you're going to say, yeah, but I know church history. Church history says that Peter, they crucified him upside down. He's dead. But you know what truth says? Peter's not dead. He's not dead. It's called the resurrection into eternal life. Do you doubt the resurrection? The winnowing fork is going to separate the wheat from the chaff. Do you know what the two are? One will experience the resurrection and the other will not. The winnowing fork of Jesus is going to take the wheat and put them in his barn. It's called the resurrection unto eternal life. And the chaff will go to an unquenchable fire. It is hail. Do you doubt that? We must bring our doubts into the light of truth and find freedom today. I'm not sure what the future holds for the church, but I have a feeling that hardship and suffering are coming as the society we live in will increasingly reject the church and the message of Christ. When those times of testing and doubt come, I'm telling you today, turn to the truth. Don't trip over the truth. It is the rock that was put in Jerusalem for you to stand upon. 
Do not trip over it. Do not be offended by it. Stand on it. Stand on it and do not move. Don't be offended by the very word of God that, gave, that God gave you to stand upon in victory. Let the word of truth set you free from the fear of doubt. Finally, do you remember John the Baptist's question when he's in jail? Are you the one or should we look for another? Everyone listen to his answer today. Today, you must realize there is no other to look for. Are you the one or should I look for another? Where else will you go? If you reject Jesus, where will you go? The, blame, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured. The deaf hear and the dead are raised to life. The good news is preached to the poor in his name. Do you doubt that today? I'll ask Chad to come on out for the invitation. Did you come here today to see a weed, a reed that is swayed by political pressure? Did you come here today because you still believe there is a truth that stands, irregardless of political pressure, irregardless of social media? It just stands there. It just stands there. It's a message. It's a truth. It's not dependent upon time or people groups. It just stands there. It's called truth. And if you reject that truth today, where will you go? Father, awaken your bride, your church. Give us eyes to see what we could not see, our ears to hear what we could not hear. And make our hearts like David who will believe and follow anything you ask. And then send us out into this world carrying this truth, standing upon this rock in Jesus' name. And amen. The invitation's open. Let's stand together.